Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. We propositioned our employee base down there at the time was about 80 people and said, hey, you know what? We're going to move to Utah. We're going to do it over the Thanksgiving holiday. Whoever wants a job can have a job, but that's when it's going to happen. So, you know, kind of that Jerry Maguire moment of who's coming with me. And uh, 60 out of the 80 people said, we're coming with you. It was in a very short time window. We had to end up securing all the housing. We picked all their housing area they were going to live. Um, got all the utilities set up, stocked their fridges. I mean, got toilet paper in the bathroom and just told them, hey, we'll swing by your house on Friday. And uh, we were driving around town with trailers and 53-foot, you know, van, big semi-trucks and ended up caravanning everybody to, to Utah. The rest is history, but it was, uh, it was pretty remarkable to see a, a caravan of 60 families traveling from Las Vegas to, to Utah to, to continue the mission. And the mission was to, to provide for the families and continue to make Snugs great. Are some of those employees still with you today? Lots of them are still here today. Brandon McKay is the owner, CEO, and president of Snugs USA based in Salt Lake City, Utah. His laid-back, employee-empowered leadership style has taken a small family business of six and transformed it into an industry powerhouse with $40 million in annual sales and over 500 employees. My name is Bobby Lehu, the Chief Content Officer at CommonSkew, and together with Mark Graham, CommonSkew's co-founder and Chief Platform Officer, we traveled to Salt Lake City to visit Brandon and his team. Brandon has served on various boards, committees, and work groups inside and outside the promotional products industry. He is Six Sigma Lean Certified and is a strong advocate for process improvement and employee development. This recording took place inside the Snug Studio, one of the few of its kind in a manufacturing facility, and we discussed the future of the business, consolidation, fragmentation, and Brandon's advice for manufacturing entrepreneurs. Today's episode is courtesy of CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that powers you to process more orders and grow your business. For more information or to start your free trial, visit commonskew.com. I'm curious about this idea of margins. I know that uh, this industry suffers from declining margins or increased margin pressure. And that's probably something that is particularly acute in things like lanyards, which are more classified as commodities. How do you think about how you go to market with a price sensitive product like a lanyard versus something like a journal, which is going to be quite a bit more expensive and you have far fewer competitors? So it's been very unique for us to learn. I think we're pretty good at our craft in selling lanyards or selling lip balm selling items in the $3 category range. We've now ventured off into a a double-digit price point. Yeah, and and triple-digit, too. And triple-digit, you know, in some respects. And it has been completely foreign to us. I think the biggest surprise that we've had thus far was the overwhelming excitement that customers have the ability to choose a product that has meaning to them Mm. rather than choosing a product that just accommodates a use. And so we can get into these organic and just crafty case fantasies or stories. And the leather line is a much more of a storyline yep. than buying a 
lanyard for an event. Just one thing to add to that, I think that your brand in the industry is one of great quality and great customer service. So it's interesting to me that now you've got this foundation, you can get into seemingly disparate product lines and people are going to trust you because if Snugs is doing shoes, I'm going to give them a shot. Whereas if it was Bobby's promo supplier, then there may not be that trust there. So that, that, that's a great asset when you're able to build up that, that trust in the marketplace and that infrastructure and foundation. Um, so I'm not surprised that Traverse has taken off for you. Um, that in, in, in such a way that I don't think it would take off in the same way in the hands of another supplier that may not have had that trust in the industry. Yeah, we're crossing our fingers. Having just visited with your team for half a day so far, does having the team that you've built up give you part of that confidence? I'm, I was curious, where does the confidence come to decide we're going to go now try this? For our listeners, then I would like to say, over lunch, when we asked the question to Brandon about this risk and trying new things and how fast was the ramp up for Traverse, the laughter that burst in the room about taking the risks and just and going for it was interesting because you have a lot of folks around the room that know what they're doing. Folks, a lot of folks that are in that room, we respect and know. I'm curious where this confidence comes from to say, we're going to go try this. I mean, we, it's, a, it's quite a leap, it seems. I think just over the life of Snugs, we've had failures. We've got, the, you know, we've been in the opportunity where we try to get our, our foot in the, in the arena of hard goods before. Um, we tried to create a, a high-end, cool, looky, crafty uh, card line before. So we've, we've definitely had our teeth kicked in, but I think that we've been very crafty in getting back up again and dusting ourselves off and just saying, hey, that was a tremendous failure, but we need to, we need to journey on from here. But I think that I've just been afforded a lot of autonomy to just try. We have very good people that are here that are very good at their craft, whether it's manufacturing, sales, media, content, marketing, whatever, they're very good at what they do, and they're very supportive. What we saw downstairs was all the manufacturing that goes into building a lanyard, all the variable components. When you look across the room at where Traverse is being manufactured and you see similar skills being used in terms of utilizing all the components of a piece or, or trying to figure out how to use pieces from this large chunk of leather, then you begin to see some of the connecting dots. You can see why a manufacturer would take the leap. Because I'm thinking the average distributor's mind, you know, wait, lanyards and shoes and now, and food? I mean, that's quite a leap. Which brings me to a question. Has that been difficult to win the hearts and minds of your customers when you've made such seemingly broad category leaps? I think for us in the promotional products arena, we have such an incredible, loyal customer base that they give us the benefit of the doubt. They say, yes, does this make any sense? Probably no. It's hard for me to connect the dots right now, but I will give you a chance to, to succeed. And Soul Kicks, whether you know, it's a, you know, a fully decorated shoe or if it's Traverse leather, they've looked at it and said, you know what? You haven't harmed me in the past. I don't see what the harm is in giving you a chance. Yeah, yeah. Which gives you a great palette, gives, gives you a great us, canvas to, to, to work on. Right. And of new product line, Traverse has been our most successful to date. What percentage of your revenue is for your traditional lanyard sales versus the, these new categories? It's about 50-50 between personal care and our lanyards. 
Is there one that's performing better than the others? One is been extremely stable and has growth, you know, has growth, which would be the lanyards, which you would think, at what point is that thing going to cap out? <laughs> but it still continues to grow. Uh, personal care, care really has a lot of runway left in the abilities to grow that line. But the one that I think that will really change and morph us into a a supplier that I think can be around for another 20 years will be Traverse. So your view of Traverse is that at some point it could be the majority of your sales? It could be a, not the majority, but it could be, you know, a very strong contributor to our sales. So if we were to be recording this podcast in, let's say, five, seven years, and Snugs was known for its leather, the people would look back and say, you guys started selling lanyards? What's up with that? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about content. I'm curious for you to let me know how content has driven business for you and how you're able to measure the impact of content on your bottom line. Content is a leap of faith. I would say probably more so in this industry than any because it is really an underutilized opportunity for either a supplier or distributor. Right. So it's not in anybody's wheelhouse. I think there's a couple people that do it okay, but I would say hands down, unequivocally champion of the world is Snugs. I think that we produce the best content, period. And I think it's because we you can't monetize the value of it right now. You can't say, hey, you know, we know that this XYZ video or this social media post or this brought this exact amount of revenue in, mm. but we're hedging. Right. And I think Snugs has been a great hedger in saying, hey, we don't know what the outcome is, but we're going to just continue to support it right. and love it and nurture it and water it and in hopes that it blooms into something just spectacular, and I believe it will. And at what point did you know that content was gonna be a good thing to invest in? I would say probably about five years ago was the precursor of this is really not gonna go away. Right. This means of advertising or this means of pushing information outside of the traditional channel of web or catalog is not going to go away. And then it was really just the opportunity to be able to have conversations with our marketing team here, Brandon Brown, our abilities to coax and Jeff Anderton into throwing his hat in the ring. And it's just, yeah. it's not anyone is better than the other. It's just getting the right people that cohesively work together well. And we've just been extremely blessed. Holy yeah. smokes, we've been blessed. Why do you think more suppliers don't take the investment? It sounds like you've almost had a conversion story here where you're like, you know, this is something we should invest in. And I look around the room right now and folks, out, listeners obviously can't see what's going on, but there's a lot of investment in this room. There's not another room like this. I walked in the room and I said, this is a playroom. <laughs> uh, there's not another investment like this in the industry, I would, I would guess. And why do you think suppliers aren't taking story and content more seriously? Well, first, I hope they don't, because I think that just continues to widen the gap right, and makes it more difficult to catch up. Why do they don't? This industry has a significant amount of leadership that believes that the way that they are doing business, ironically, is the way they were taught to do business, is the way that they're going to go out doing business. I think not just for me, but I think, you know, Snug specifically, there's some attitude inside of this organization, not me, 
but people that are participating in the day-to-day success of Snugs that have a passion and an affinity to this type of means. Uh, there's not a piece of equipment in this room that I could run. I'd probably break almost everything in here. But that doesn't mean I don't appreciate its value and, and what it can do to the, to the business. Is, is there a non-industry brand that you admire from a content perspective, an exemplar to you? I think for people in Utah, as far as style, design, look, smell, we obviously love brands from Utah. But outside of brands from Utah, I think in the outdoor retailer arena, I think there's a lot of affection towards those types of companies, whether it's Patagonia or North Face or Cotopaxi or... Right. I think that we identify well with those. There's other companies within Utah that I think that are are unique and wise, and whether right. that's Sundance Catalog, and we talked about that, right. and people that try to bring an emotion to a gift yep. or an emotion to a product. Yep. And that's hard to do with a lanyard, but I think we try the very best that we can do right. to bring that emotion to a lanyard. Does the growing supplier consolidation concern you? Yes and no. So yes, and the fact that it's obvious that the bigger guys are getting bigger. Where Snugs falls into this, we're kind of the anomaly. We kind of talked about this earlier today of we, we service categories where we service areas that are probably not incredibly important to other people. The items that we do produce out of our facility obviously takes a dramatic footprint to do that. So I don't think that there are areas that people love, but I think there's always going to be a place for everybody. Is there going to be as many seats at the table as there was in 1990? No, there, there isn't. And anybody who has been around for that long and has gone to shows for that long can visually tell you that consolidation is definitely happening or has happened and will continue to happen. Mm. Standalone companies are almost obsolete. I can remember being next to a guy that just sold dice or next to a guy that just had garter belts. And you think, it's interesting. Are they around? No, they're not around right. because they're just a subcategory of a very large conglomerate now. You acquired Soul Kicks. When did you launch Soul Kicks? So we launched Soul Kicks at Expo of this year, 2017. How is Soul Kicks doing? Soul Kicks was a massive learning curve for us um, to be able to take an undecorated or a blank canvas and that's fully assembled. It's not a flat canvas and be able to do a full color decoration on that inside of the parameters of the technology, technology that's around right now was very challenging for us. We, uh, we ruined a lot of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Are there more acquisitions in your future? I would say yes. You know, there's definitely opportunities and it's a two-way street. I had mentioned in lunch, you know, Snugs is very attractive to a lot of people. But we're kind of on that tipping point now where they're either got to do one or the other. And I think for us and the autonomy that we want to have and who we want to be as a company would say, hey, you know, we need to go out and look for opportunities to acquire. Has the distributor customer changed today from who they were when you first started or even 10 years ago? Yes and no. I mean, I think that's changed in that the buyer age, the attention span, the demand for quick access to the answer has changed. 
I think the overall performance has not changed. They ultimately just want you to get the product there on time and make them look like a hero. But it's changed in other ways too, dramatic ways that I don't think that I ever foresaw, which would be uh, when I started in the industry, there was a couple entities that provided all the trade show and provided all the education content. Now there's buying groups that do their own shows. There's end user shows. There's distributor shows. There's who are all competing against each other. And they're all competing for our dollars too, our marketing budget. And that I never in a million years would have, would have been able to foresee at the quantity it is now. Do you think those new entities are helping or hurting the industry? I think they're helping in the fact that we've got to refine our offering and we've got to refine that the way that we're getting to the customer. Right. Are they hurting the industry? I, heard, I believe they are hurting maybe some of the entities or the, the names or, that we're used to. They're definitely affecting them, whether it's a trade association or whether it's a for-profit. Right. They're definitely affecting that footprint. So specifically, it's, it's impacting the associations, but do you feel there's a negative impact on the supplier side? So specifically what I'm referring to is as these organizations grow, the uh, never-ending request for rebates and marketing dollars, is that a good or a bad thing for you I as a supplier? Right, I think right now as a supplier, we're in the deep end of the pool. And we are able to swim, but you know we're in the minute 30 of this exercise in the deep end of the pool right. of treading water, right? <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, we can swim. How much longer can we swim is TBD. It depends right. on the resilience and the, the attitude and the willpower that you have to survive. Right. But at some point, you got to get back to the shallow end. Right. And I think we're right in the middle of this exercise right now of saying, hey, how do we support everybody we want to support, right. whether that's trade associations or if that's regionals or if that's the for-profit entities in the industry or our customer? There's a lot coming at you. I'm curious to talk a little bit about marketing channels and specifically which channels do the best for you right now. Like any supplier in the industry, there's a large segment of uh, sell-through that's coming through the online retailers. If they say they're not, they're lying because that is where a good chunk of the business has, has migrated to. But the migration has not happened as rapidly in the relationship side as I thought it would. I thought that, hey, everything is going to go on online retailer, just know who your merchandiser is and ride that wave. But it's not. It's still an incredibly networking-based industry. Mm. And it's still a very project-specific industry, which I thought would have eroded quicker than it has. Do you think that will erode, that uh, relationship-based, project-oriented side of the business? Will, will Amazon come in and, and automate that? Or will there always be a need for that um, relationship-based sale, that strategic sale, that creative sale that involves a distributor and a supplier coming together to uh, cater to the end user's need? I think for the immediate future, I don't think that's going to go away. Where I see the evolution happening, I've been in more than I can count of supplier-distributor relationship classes or been in, you know, what do we do with these Gen Xers, right, when I started in the industry. Right, yeah, no, that topic's y, yeah. never going to go away. And right. I've been in lots and lots and lots of classes as it relates to that content. Right. I think the different thing now is as the buyer gets younger 
and has a better ability to look at a one-dimensional or two-dimensional image on a screen and being able to interpret all of the aspects of that product without having to physically touch it improves, right. the buyer will change. So if I look at myself, who I think I'm pretty forward-thinking in technology and I can buy almost anything under the sun online, is that buyer is fully integrated in that philosophy, not learned, but is right. that's, that's what their life. Yep. That's all they've ever known. Yep. Then I think that's where things can change and where they can trust a operation like an Amazon, for, you know, so to speak. And what they see is what they think they're going to get. And they have full, full trust in that. And they're not going to question anything. Fred Wilson, a well-respected uh, venture capitalist, said that C- CEOs do three things. They set the overall vision and strategy of the company and communicate it to all stakeholders. They recruit, hire, and retain the very best talent they can. And then they make sure there's always enough cash in the bank. I look around and see a very capital-intensive operation. You've grown at such a rapid click. It seems a rapid click, even though you've had such a stable foundation for years. You're sitting across from a young supplier in the business who comes to you and says, Brandon, help. How do I grow my business? And can you help us understand the risk-reward aspect of the manufacturing business in this industry? I think the risk is something that's hard to articulate to someone. It's hard to articulate the amount of paperwork that is needed to be able to secure capital. I I can't even articulate that that to any human being. (laughs) The amount of questions that are going to be asked, I can't tell you how painful that's going to be. But I always believe that there's opportunity for up and comers. I always believe that, you know, the, the slate of suppliers that out, that's out there right now, whether they're good, bad, or whatever, I think there's always opportunity for someone else to come in. What would I tell them is I would tell them the same thing I would tell my kids. And you know, ironically, the same thing that my parents told me is, hey, don't, ex- you know, don't expect success in three seconds of work, right? So I think that if you're willing to put the sweat equity in there and not look for a monetary gain, and that could be five, 10 years, then the, the likelihood of your success is going to be much greater. If you're looking for this to be a vehicle to support your wants or desires to get a Tesla in the next 12 months, it's probably not the right game for you. Yeah. It's a long game. Yeah, you might want to choose something else. This is a long play. You said earlier on today that uh, if you were given the choice to be a supplier or a distributor, if you were to start this again, you said unequivocally <laughs> supplier. Which surprised me. It surprised me in your confidence in your answer, or maybe yes. the certainty in your answer. Can you unpack that? I think a lot of that has to do with comfort. You know, right. This is not it's my first know. day. It's what I know. Yep. Um, but I feel like the distributor partners out there are still fiercely loyal. Now, again, we are not the cheapest one on the block. But if you continually, and which parlays back into the, the previous question, if you do this day in and day out, not for weeks, but for years and yeah. decades, then that base becomes fiercely loyal. Now there is attrition, and you still have to always attract new customer base. And, but I think that unequivocally I would be a supplier. I think we know our customer, what their wants, needs, desires are. Right. And you cannot ever monetize loyalty. And I think this, this sub- distributor partner out there may or may not, they may disagree with me and say it's much easier than you think, but I would say 
me looking from the outside in, I think it would be very challenging to keep that relationship intact for decades when the turnover seems and the merchandise or whoever the buyer is seems to be very transient. Right. Right. So you feel there's more stability with your distributor customers than there's stability on the end user client mm -hmm. side. And all in all, 80, you know, the, the, the people who produce the, the Pareto of our business, the 20% are phenomenal people. Right. They make it exciting and fun and energizing to, to come to work. Tell me about that profile of distributors. When you, when you look at the lion's share of your volume, what type of distributor uh, makes up that volume? If, if you can define it by, by distributor type, so online, national account, uh, agency, independent, so to speak. Online, national account, buying group would probably constitute for half the business. Right. The other half of the business is blood, sweat, and tears, hard work. Uh, they may only get one lanyard job a year, but they give you that job. Right. And and do you see those three, the online buying group and uh, I think you said national account, do you see that comprising an even greater percentage of your revenue over the next five years? Yes. Yeah. It's just I like on the supplier side, the bigger getting bigger. I think the direct translation is happening on the distributor side. Right. How do you stand up, um, I think is the term that we were talking earlier on, to larger distributor groups that may be overly aggressive with their expectations and requirements of their vendor partners? Like, which ones do you say, we're going to partner with you in a win-win scenario and we're going to meet those demands and other people that you say, thanks very much, but we're not going to entertain that and you're prepared to walk away from, from potentially quite large volume? In a simplistic way, I would say those who are in the marriage for the benefit of the marriage, whether that's a really good marriage or that's a really good relationship and you want to see it go somewhere, those are the people that we bend over backwards for. Right. If it's starting to get out of hand or their allegiance is not to the relationship, that's typically when we say, you know what, we're, we're probably not the best partner for you. Right. Random question here. So often we get a glimpse into the life of a CEO by, it's, it's really hard for us to understand your role, and often we can get a glimpse into your life by understanding what two or three projects are on your desk right now. What are your biggest priorities as we're speaking here today? My biggest projects right now are obviously just the, the visionary side of Snugs, which would be where are we going to go and how are we going to get there. Um, the other big projects would be sorting through different deal decks, you know, the possibilities of different deals, and vetting those out. And Always, it seems to be a, a source of securing capital, uh, making sure that the, the right capital is in line for us. So Snugs is privately held, so all of our capital is either self-financed or institutional. We don't uh, deal with the, the world of uh, venture capital or private equity. And I'd say the, the last key component of just trying to be good at your job is trying to keep everybody enthused and everybody on the bus. Because hmm. <laughs> if you come into not just our organization, but I think our organization is, is, is a prime example of squirrel chasing. It's very hard to keep, especially when you as a leader, as a squirrel chaser, yeah. trying to keep everybody on the, the same bus right. is very challenging, especially when we put such a high emphasis on creativity. Hmm. 
it, it becomes very challenging. Financing question for you. There have been a number of the larger suppliers and distributors in our industry that have taken on outside uh, uh, capital, specifically from v uh, VCs and private equity. I'm wondering when you, so you're at 40 million right now, in your continued growth, do you see uh, partnering with venture capitalists and private equity uh, firms as an option for you? And I'm, I'm just curious about how it is that you would evaluate that. Private equity or venture capital is very expensive money. I'm 42 years old. So typically when you start sniffing down those rabbit holes, you're looking to exercise your opportunity to take some of that sweat equity off the table. So you take, hey, I'm going to take a little bit of me for me, and I'm going to take a little bit for the business. Right. And we've just not had to explore that too in-depthly right now because my appetite for that is pretty low. So most of our desires to raise money is mostly primarily is institutional. Right. If David Nicholson at Polyconcept was having a coffee with you and you were asking him about how how you, Snugs one day might scale to a almost half a billion dollar supplier, would he be suggesting that the VC or private equity route would be basically your own, only option if you were looking to get to that size? What do you think he might say to you? I think it would be probably the most secure way to get there. Right. Uh, you would probably not lose hair or not generate as many gray hairs right, right. to get there. Right. Would probably, and I don't know, he may have a completely different answer, but it's very enticing to look at it. But again, I think Snugs and myself, uh, I'm not young, but I'm not old. Right. And I've never really had an appetite to take money off the table, so to speak. I'm not a, you know, I drive a truck and, you know, I'm not a, I'm not in that vein yet right, right. Of, of thinking. Right. And I cannot foresee being able to, to work in that constraint either. You've received all types of recognition. Perennial Best Places to Work, Honoree, Inc., Magazine's Fastest Growing Company, Supplier of the Year, Utah Manufacturers Association, Best Practices for Corporate Social Citizenship, Responsibility, Marketing Awards, and many more. When I asked, I had a chance to sit by Gary Kelly on a flight, CEO of Southwest Airlines once, and I... I ask him about the attention they received due to their quirkiness. I ask if that shrouded their real accomplishment, which is getting more people to their destination on time than any other airline. So I ask you, are there successes that you are proud of at Snugs that haven't made it to the headlines? I think the success that we have here within the organization is hard to capture, or to capture in a award. I think our success and our desires to come to work to every day are outside of kudos and accolades. I think the opportunity that we come and, and, and spend 9, 10, 12 hours a day together and enjoy it and laugh and, and have a good time is greater than the award. And perhaps maybe it has drawn people into some of the, the, the quirky behavior that you would see in a Southwest airline. Mm -hmm. Mark, I have a question for you. When you come here to Snugs and you see the manufacturing, you see the risk, you see the overhead, capital, the team, you see what it takes to run an organization like this. I think the average distributor takes this for granted. What it takes to get a simple 
air quotes, lanyard order yep. to your desk. What we saw downstairs was a ton of manual processes, yep. a lot of manufacturing, a lot of QC. Is business just moving so fast that we don't take the time to stop and appreciate those partners that really, without which we have no business? Yes. But let me, I, let me see if I'm going to try to answer your question a, dif- a different way. We talked about this idea of empathy right. in our industry. Right. We talked about the empathy that distributors have internally within their organizations, suppliers have internally within their organizations, and of course, the empathy that suppliers and distributors have for one another. Right. So, of, of course, with my distributor experience, even after walking around the floor, if I got an order tomorrow from my best end client that said they needed 100 lanyards same day shipped to their event, I would be on the phone with Snugs and my expectation is that they would ship them out regardless of how challenging it is sure. to produce a lanyard. Sure. At the end of the day, I'm servicing the customer. Sure. But I think that having seen this and having seen many other supplier operations, it allows for me to come to that request with greater education, greater empathy, greater sense of partnership. And I think it's because of that, that glue, that means that the supplier is likely going to work harder for a distributor that comes to the table like that, as opposed to a distributor that is just out in left field, demanding pricing concessions, is a total jerk to work with and is not bringing respect to the table. So I don't want to paint this picture of that because you and I struggled with jigging the lanyards, I think that that's what you call it, and I would be horrible, would have been fired within right. about 20 seconds of right. snugs. I know that if my great end client is still calling, there's no question my expectations are still going to be very high of snugs. Right. Because they, they have to ship that order in order to get the client um, uh, to make them happy. But I think that it's, I think that more of this stuff is important to cement the stronger relationships that this industry needs in order to thrive the next five, 10 years. I guess what I'm getting at too is the distributors, there's a difference between utilizing a supplier as a resource for a product versus engaging with them as a partner. And so, for example, when I left the floor, what I left were with, with two thoughts. Number one, if I was distributor again, I would get my team to Snug's headquarters to yep. tour this facility yep. because I left with the confidence that there are so many more, many things we can be doing. Yep. And, the, and, the, and the projects that kind of go off in your mind about for your clients of what is capable. So it sort of expanded my horizon a well, little bit. Well, you, you could also boil it down to the very basics of what you're getting at, which is educated salespeople or educated business people are right. usually always the most successful. Right. And so he, her, he or she that crams their brain full of interesting tidbits about how they can be better in their career, uh, that person who's also going to trade shows, that's investing in, in their professional development, whether that's visiting suppliers, they're always the ones who are tops. Mm-hmm. So it's like the content we were having, or the, uh, the conversation we were having about content. I mean, education is a long-term investment. It's a long-term play, but it leads to success at the end of the day. So I know we need to wrap here, but Brandon, you speak with a lot of distributors. You talk with a lot of these larger groups, smaller distributors, and you have for years. Do you see similarities in the most successful distributors? And what advice would you have for distributor customers to build a better business? My greatest advice to them is always to find the best partners. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's, like I said, if you have a partner or you have a marriage or you have whatever it is, those that you invest in and focus on the most and try to build 
a true, lasting, equitable partnership are those that I've always found have been the most successful. Now, you can always do it the ruthless and the mean way, but I think, and for me, and within our Snugs culture and family here, the fastest, greatest way to build a business model or just an interpersonal relationship model inside the organization is, is halfway. You always have to be halfway. And when you start to push the bounds of that is typically when the ship starts to shake. Was there a topic that we didn't touch on that you wanted to talk about? I think that the topic that I always want to touch on or talk about, not just, I think that anybody who's had any degree of success has a very good family unit typically. But outside of that, I think the family unit with inside the organization, I think, always gets a miss. Mm. I think they kind of, you know, the people sitting here, you know, they're my family. They're my family for half my life. You know, if I split my life in half on a daily basis, they're my family for half my life. And I think they a lot of the time get lost in the, in the, in the conversation. And I don't know how to encapsulate that into a, a talking point, but I think that's truly where the, the rubber meets the road. It's, uh, um, I think, inside of Snugs, I think our success is to be able to take people from all walks of life and maybe people from all different backgrounds and thoughts and beliefs. And during the family time that we're here together, it is incredibly complimentary and incredibly respectful. And I think that's what I love about our family unit here at Snugs mm. is we are all scattered in what we believe and think after hours. But when we are here, we are in stride, respectful, appreciative, loving, would be the first one there if something were to happen dire. So I think that's the hard part that sometimes you get the opportunity to do an interview or whatever, but it's really, when I said 99 per other jobs had to be filled because I was only good at one little job. That's truly the reality of it. The skeptic in me would be doubting what you said had I not spent half a day with your team, had we not hung out with people, have we not had many conversations with your colleagues here? Because that's the impression I got too, was this, you've worked really hard to build a substantial team with folks that not only have immense talent, but who, are, who really do work hard at working well together. And you saw the disagreements too. Mm -hmm. And I've asked about the disagreements as well. And so it's been fun to hang around with your team and experience this. Thanks for, thanks for this. Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for good. coming Mark, to, any, any final to Utah. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I mean, any, any excuse to come to Utah is, uh, is always a good one, but, uh, I, I concur, but I made the comment that as soon as I walked in to your lobby, I, and I think I make this comment about any business that you walk into any environment, you can tell whether there's magic or there's yeah. a, a feeling of energy or some sort of je ne sais quoi, at least as I would say that. Mm. And that's very obvious when you, you see the building from outside. You come in, you see the reception, you see the, the way that you guys interact with one another, how you dress. Um, and, and, and there's something there that's hard to quantify. And I think that's what is really special about you know any business that's, that's been successful. You, you distill it down to how you feel when you walk into the front lobby. Mm -hmm. And that, that was really evident. So that's more of a, more of a comment and an observation. Um, I wasn't surprised to see that. I know we need, I know we need to close, but I, I, heard, I, I heard a little bit of a story about some, some move from Las Vegas <laughs> to Utah. Is, 
Is that a story you want to tell? I didn't even hear what it was about. To pare it down and a talking point. Is it too big a story? So Snugs was always a marketing entity. So we did the marketing design, the sales, kind of the sales engine, so to speak, of the whole Snugs image. And uh, the manufacturing, the job shipment, the fulfillment, decoration, all of that was, was subcontract. The gentleman or who was running that entity in 2006 was just like, I'm done. I don't want to do it anymore. I would hope that you would want to purchase the manufacturing side of your business back. And like I told Marky, I was like, yeah, hello. <laughs> Either we do it or we die. <laughs> so uh, we went into an agreement to purchase the, uh, the manufacturing side of the business. And I was commuting between Salt Lake and uh, Nevada, um, Henderson, Nevada, just a, a suburb of Las Vegas for about a year and we you know we had a house down there and I was commuting back and forth and and it just got to the point where we had to establish in our roots firmly and permanently in Las Vegas for manufacturing or we had to pull up the tent stakes and get the crap out of town I just made the decision probably selfishly that it's this isn't going to work for me um, I don't like having to spend and share my life between two cities especially one that I hate not that Las Vegas is not a great city. For me, it was just not fulfilling because I'm a, I'm a Utah boy and I like Four Seasons and I like to mountain bike and I like to ski, you know, so it wasn't fulfilling yep. my obligation to myself. So I'm like, we got to get out of Las Vegas because it's just not working for me. And um, so we propositioned, we propositioned our employee base down there at the time was about 80 people and said, hey, you know what, we're going to move to Utah. We're going to do it over the Thanksgiving holiday. Whoever wants a job can have a job, but that's when it's going to happen. So, you know, kind of that Jerry Maguire moment of who's coming with me. And uh, 60 out of the 80 people said, we're coming with you. It was in a very short time window. We had to end up securing all the housing. We picked all their housing area they were going to live, um, got all the utilities set up, stocked their fridges. I mean, got toilet paper in the bathroom and just told him, hey, we'll swing by your house on Friday. And uh, we were driving around town with trailers and 53-foot, you know, van, big semi-trucks and ended up caravanning everybody to, to Utah. The rest is history, but it was, uh, it was, it was pretty remarkable to see a, a caravan of 60 families traveling from Las Vegas to, to Utah. To, to continue the mission, and the mission was to to provide for their families and continue to make Snugs great. Are some of those employees still with you today? Lots of them are still here today. You know, it's a chuckle now. You can call whatever you want. You can call it grace or divine intervention or kindness or whatever you want, but there was a lot of that because right. there was at least 400 reasons why that weekend should have felt and <laughs> crashed and burned, but everything just happened and where one door closed three more opened and it was just, it was a pretty remarkable business thing to happen and it was it's real special it's a tender thing just the, the amount of of grace we were afforded and we literally closed uh on wednesday before thanksgiving and we were operational by monday hmm. <laughs> what <amazing>. a story <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know that we've tried to finish this podcast like at least Three twice, times. but but I, I I've got another question. Sure. So I want to talk about the state of manufacturing in in the U.S. Sure. and how, um, you know, you'd be led to believe you read the papers, 
listen to the media that American manufacturing is dead. It's all gone offshore. Jobs are hollowing out. Lots of problems. Um, you're a smart man of business. Uh, you clearly are in business to make an impact on your colleagues, uh, but you're also in business to make money. Um, you didn't outsource. You have a huge manufacturing facility, what, 400 people or so that are out there. Why aren't there more people following your lead and manufacturing their product in the U.S.? I think just the erosion of U.S. manufacturing over the last not just few years, but say 30 years as they've transitioned to other areas of manufacturing influence. So when we were young, it was Mexico or uh, it kind of just ping pongs across the globe. Right. Uh, I think the attraction to it, again, is probably not what everybody aspires to. But I do believe that there's always going to be a segment or a demographic that finds manufacturing as a very desirable, very accomplishing job. Right. And I can't imagine not having the opportunity to afford some of these people that, uh, that same opportunity. Just to say that you enter into manufacturing, doesn't that mean, that doesn't mean that's where you're gonna end up. No one's asking you to put 40 years in out there. Right. What we're asking you is to do a good job, be proactive, be solution oriented, and then move up the food chain, right. just like I was afforded. And I think that's why I have an allegiance to it, because I think there are lots of diamonds in the rough that don't have the same chance that I had. And so if I can give them that chance to ping pong their way up through the ranks, so to speak, then I want to continue to support that. Have you ever been uh, acknowledged for the contribution you're making to the U.S. manufacturing sector? I think the reason I ask you that question is that it didn't really dawn on me. And I've been in the industry for the better part of 17, 18 years. And I've known Snugs for some time in a variety of capacities. And it didn't really dawn on me until this morning the extent of how vertically integrated you were. And that was a surprise to me. Now, maybe I've had in my head in the sand or maybe I'm a little daft, but that to me as an outsider is something that I, I'm surprised that you're not put up on a pedestal for, for the <laughs> contribution you're making to your country. And, and maybe that's the fact that you're not a promoter, as you said, but uh, I, just, I just think that's just really interesting. Like that's what's hit me really hard today about this visit. Um, yeah. I had no idea. I, 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 I thought probably up until maybe a few, maybe a, two months ago, that Traverse was all imported. And because that's what the big suppliers do. It makes economic sense. You bring it in, you deboss it here locally, and that's great. But the, to see it being made out there today was a real shocker. Again, I think uh, my allegiance is to providing opportunity. Right. And um, I think manufacturing and is a craft. And whether it's making lip balm, which is there's a lot of craft involved in that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of scientific today, yeah. value yeah. in that arena. Or if it's just trying to come up with a cool, really design, you know, going through a couple hides, trying to refine it into a really cool looking finished good. I, I find a lot of excitement in that. Maybe that's the, uh, the, uh, the 80s Lego kid in me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else, Brandon? Any, any other topics you want to talk no, about? No, I'm just, you know, I'm incredibly grateful that you guys are here and uh, had uh, the opportunity to take time out of your schedule and your family and your life to to spend two days when I know that you have much more 
nonprofit related things that you guys could do. And so very appreciative, not for just me, but for, I think everybody here at Snugs, we, we love to have visitors and, and people take time out of their lives to see what we do. And we're grateful for that. This is great. Thank you for your time. We appreciate the invite. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SkewCast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SkewCast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.